Hello. Welcome to the Bore You to Sleep podcast. The podcast that will hopefully help you get to sleep. I am going to read an open source book, one that is not particularly interesting, but one that is hopefully boring enough to get you to sleep. Tonight's readings comes from The Works of Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe has become, in time, one of America's greatest poets. During his life, however, his talent was known, but his success was not as evident. A remarkable character to listen to, while you slowly drift off into dreamland. My name is Teddy, and I aim to help people everywhere get a good night's rest. Sleep is so important, and my mission is to help you get the rest that you need. Each episode is designed to play in the background while you slowly fall asleep. Special shout out to US iTunes listener TJ Mill W for your lovely review during the week. Thank you also to Insta followers Alice Abalasha and Concussed Paranoia for your lovely stories during the week. The podcast is completely free and it's the support from listeners that allows me to keep bringing out more episodes. If the podcast helps, a fantastic way to say thanks is to tell a friend who might also need help with their sleep. Please also subscribe and leave a review. It really does help out. If you want, you can also say hello at boyyoutosleep.com where you can support the podcast. I'm now on Twitter and Instagram at boyyoutosleep if you want to say hi. In the meantime, lie back, relax and enjoy the readings. The Works of Edgar Allan Poe An Appreciation This stanza from The Raven was recommended by James Russell Lowell as an inscription upon the Baltimore Monument, which marks the resting place of Edgar Allan Poe, the most interesting and original figure in American letters. And to signify that peculiar musical quality of Poe's genius, which enthralls every reader, Mr. Lowell suggested this additional verse from the haunted palace. And all with pearl and ruby glowing was the fair palace door, through which came flowing, 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 and sparkling evermore, a troop of echoes whose sweet duty was but to sing in voices of surpassing beauty, the wit and wisdom of their king. Born in poverty at Boston, January 19, 1809, 
Dying Under Painful Circumstances at Baltimore, October 7, 1849. His whole literary career of scarcely 15 years a pitiful struggle for mere subsistence. His memory malignantly represented by his earliest biographer, Griswold. How completely has truth at last routed falsehood? And how magnificently has Poe come into his own? For the Raven, first published in 1845, and within a few months read, recited, and parodied wherever the English language was spoken, the half-starved poet received ten dollars. Less than a year later, his brother poet N.P. Willis issued this touching appeal to the admirers of genius on behalf of the neglected author. His dying wife and her devoted mother, then living under very strained circumstances in a little cottage at Fordham, New York. Here is one of the finest scholars, one of the most original men of genius, and one of the most industrious of the literary profession of our country, whose temporary suspension of labour from bodily illness drops him immediately to a level with the common objects of public charity. There is no intermediate stopping place, no respectful shelter, where with the delicacy due to genius and culture, he might secure aid till with returning health, he would resume his labours and his unmortified sense of independence. And this was the tribute paid by the American public to the master who had given to it such tales of conjuring charm, of witchery and mystery, as the fall of the house of Usher and Ligeia, such fascinating hoaxes as the unparalleled adventure of Hans Fall, MSS, found in a bottle, a descent into a maelstrom, and the balloon hoax, such tales of conscience as William Wilson, the black cat, and the tell-tale heart, wherein the retributions of remorse are portrayed with an awful fidelity, such tales of natural beauty as the island of the Fay and the domain of Arnheim, such marvellous studies in ratiocination as the gold bug, the murders in the Rue Morgue, the purloined letter, and the mystery of Marie Roget, 
the latter a recital of fact, demonstrating the author's wonderful capability of correctly analysing the mysteries of the human mind. Such tales of adventure as the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, such papers of keen criticism and review as one for Poe the enthusiastic admiration of Charles Dickens, although they made him many enemies among the overpuffed minor American writers so mercilessly exposed by him. Such poems of beauty and malady as The Bells, The Haunted Palace, Tamer Lane, The City in the Sea, and The Raven. What delight for the jaded senses of the reader is this enchanted domain of wonder pieces. What an atmosphere of beauty music, colour, what resources of imagination, construction, analysis and absolute art. One almost might sympathise with Sarah Helen Whitman, who, confessing to a half-faith in the old superstition of the significance of anagrams, found in the transposed letters of Edgar Poe's name, the words, A God Peer. His mind, she says, was indeed a haunted place, echoing the footfalls of the angels and demons. No man, Poe himself wrote, has recorded. No man has dared to record the wonders of his inner life. In these 20th century days of lavish recognition, artistic, popular and material, of genius, what rewards might not Apo claim? Edgar's father, a son of General David Poe, the American revolutionary patriot and friend of Lafayette, had married Mrs. Hopkins, an English actress, and the match meeting with parental disapproval, had himself taken to the stage as a profession. Notwithstanding Mrs. Poe's beauty and talent, the young couple had a sorry struggle for an existence. When Edgar, at the age of two years, was orphaned, the family was in the utmost destitution. Apparently the future poet was to be cast upon the world, homeless and friendless. But fate decreed that a few glimmers of sunshine were to illumine his life, for the little fellow was adopted by John Allen, a wealthy merchant of Richmond, Virginia. A brother and sister, 
the remaining children were cared for by others. In his new home, Edgar found all the luxury and advantages money could provide. He was petted, spoiled and shown off to strangers. In Mrs. Allen, he found all the affection a childless wife could bestow. Mr. Allen took much pride in the captivating, precocious lad. At the age of five, the boy recited, with fine effect, passages of English poetry to the visitors at the Allen house. From his eighth to his thirteenth year, he attended the Manor House School at Stoke Newington, a suburb of London. It was the Reverend Dr. Bransby, head of the school, whom Poe so quaintly portrayed in William Wilson. Returning to Richmond in 1820, Edgar was sent to the school of Professor Joseph H. Clark. He proved an apt pupil. Years afterward, Professor Clark thus wrote, While the other boys wrote mere mechanical verses, Poe wrote genuine poetry. The boy was a born poet. As a scholar, he was ambitious to excel. He was remarkable for self-respect without haughtiness. He had a sensitive and tender heart and would do anything for a friend. His nature was entirely free from selfishness. At the age of 17, Poe entered the University of Virginia at Charlottesville. He left the institution after one session. Official records prove that he was not expelled. On the contrary, he gained a credible record as a student, although it is admitted that he contracted debts and had an unforgivable passion for card playing. These debts may have led to his quarrel with Mr. Allen, which eventually compelled him to make his own way in the world. Early in 1827, Poe made his first literary venture. He induced Calvin Thomas a poor and youthful printer, to publish a small volume of his verses under the title Tamer Lane and Other Poems. In 1829, we find Poe in Baltimore with another manuscript volume of verses which soon published. Its title was Al-Araraf, Tamerlane and other poems. Neither of these ventures seem to have attracted much attention. Soon after Mr. Allen's death, which occurred in 1829, Poe, through the aid of Mr. Allen, 
secured admission to the United States Military Academy at West Point. Any glamour which may have attached to cadet life in Poe's eyes was speedily lost, for discipline at West Point was never so severe, nor were the accommodations ever so poor. Poe's bent was more and more toward literature. Life at the academy daily became increasingly distasteful. Soon he began to purposefully neglect his studies and to disregard his duties, his aim being to secure his dismissal from the United States service. In this he succeeded. On March 7, 1831, Poe found himself free. Mr. Allen's second marriage had thrown the lad on his own resources. His literary career was to begin. Poe's first genuine victory was won in 1833 when he was the successful competitor for a prize of $100 offered by a Baltimore periodical for the best prose story, a MSS found in a bottle, was the winning tale. Poe had submitted six stories in a volume. Our only difficulty, said Mr. Latrobe, one of the judges, was in selecting from the rich contents of the volume. During the 15 years of his literary life, Poe was connected with various newspapers and magazines in Richmond, Philadelphia, and New York. He was faithful, punctual, industrious and thorough. N.P. Willis, who for some time employed Poe as critic and sub-editor on the Evening Mirror, wrote thus, With the highest admiration for Poe's genius and a willingness to let it alone for more than ordinary irregularity, we were led by common report to expect a very capricious attention to his duties, and occasionally a scene of violence and difficulty. Time went on, however, and he was invariably punctual and industrious. We saw but one presentment of a man a quiet patient, industrious and most gentlemanly person. We heard from one who knew him well what should be stated in all mention of his lamentable irregularities, that with a single glass of wine his whole nature was reversed. The demon became uppermost, and though none of the usual signs of intoxication were visible, 
His will was palpably insane. In the reversed character we repeat, it was never our chance to meet him. On September 22, 1835, Poe married his cousin Virginia Clem in Baltimore. She had barely turned 13 years. Poe himself was but 26. He then was a resident of Richmond and a regular contributor to the Southern Literary Messenger. It was not until a year later that the bride and her widowed mother followed him thither. Poe's devotion to his child wife was one of the most beautiful features of his life. Many of his famous poetic productions were inspired by her beauty and charm. Consumption had marked for her its victim, and the constant efforts of husband and mother were to secure for her all the comfort and happiness their slender means permitted. Virginia died January 30, 1847, when she was but 25 years of age. A friend of the family pictures of the deathbed scene, mother and husband trying to impart warmth to her by chafing her hands and her feet, while her pet cat was suffered to nestle upon her bosom for the sake of added warmth. These verses from Annabelle Lee, written by Poe in 1849, the last year of his life, tell of his sorrow at the loss of his child wife. I was a child and she was a child in a kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabelle Lee, with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that, long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling, my beautiful Annabelle Lee, so that her high-born kinsman came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea. Poe was connected at various times and in various capacities with the Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond, Virginia, Graham's Magazine and the Gentleman's Magazine in Philadelphia, The Evening Mirror, The Broadway Journal and Godey's Ladies Book in New York. Everywhere Poe's life was one of unremitting toil 
No tales and poems were ever produced at a greater cost of brain and spirit. Poe's initial salary with the Southern Literary Messenger, to which he contributed the first drafts of a number of his best-known tales, was $10 a week. Two years later, his salary was but $600 a year. Even in 1844, when his literary reputation was established securely, he wrote to a friend expressing his pleasure because a magazine to which he was to contribute had paid him an extra $20 monthly for two pages of criticism. Those were discouraging times in American literature, but Poe never lost faith. He was finally to triumph wherever pre-eminent talent winners and admirers were. His genius has had no better description than in this stanza from William Winter's poem, read at the dedication exercises of the actor's monument to Poe, May 4, 1885, in New York. He was the voice of beauty and of woe, passion and mystery and the dread unknown, pure as the mountains of perpetual snow, cold as the icy winds that round them moan, dark as the caves wherein earth's thunders groan, wild as the tempests of the upper sky, sweet as the faint, far-off celestial tone of angel whispers fluttering from on high, and tender as love's tear when youth and beauty die. In the two and a half score years that have elapsed since Poe's death, he has come fully into his own, for a while Griswold's malignant representations coloured the public estimate of Poe as a man and as a writer, but these were misrepresentations. Thanks to J.H. Ingham, W.F. Gill, Eugene Didier, Sarah Helen Whitman, and others... These scandals have been dispelled, and Poe is seen as he actually was not as a man without failings. It is true, but at the finest and most original genius in American letters. As the years go on, his fame increases. His works have been translated into many foreign languages. His is a household name in France, and England, in fact. The latter nation has offered uttered the reproach that Poe's country has been slow to appreciate him. But that reproach, if it ever was warranted, certainly is untrue.
Edgar Allan Poe by James Russell Lowell The situation of American literature is anomalous. It has no centre or, if it have, it is like that of a sphere of Hermes. It is divided into many systems, each revolving round its several suns, and often presenting to the rest only the faint glimmer of a milk and waterway. Our capital city, unlike London or Paris, is not a great central heart from which life and vigour radiate to the extremities, but resembles more an isolated umbilicus stuck down as near as may to the centre of the land, and seeming rather to tell a legend of former usefulness than to serve any present need. Boston, New York, Philadelphia, each has its literature almost more distinct than those of the different dialects of Germany, and the young queen of the West has also one of her own, of which some articulate rumour barely has reached us dwellers by the Atlantic. Perhaps there is no task more difficult than the just criticism of contemporary literature. It is even more grateful to give praise where it is needed than where it is deserved. And friendship so often seduces the iron stylus of justice into a vague flourish that she writes what she seems rather like an epitaph than a criticism. Yet if praise be given as an alms, we could not drop so poisonous a one into any man's hat. The critic's ink may suffer equally from too large an infusion of nut galls or of sugar, but if it is easier to be generous than to be just, and we might readily put faith in that fabulous direction to the hiding place of truth, did we judge from the amount of water which we usually find mixed with it. Remarkable experiences are usually confined to the inner life of imaginative men, but Mr. Poe's biography displays a vistitude and peculiarity of interest, such as is rarely met with. The offspring of a romantic marriage, and left an orphan at an early age, he was adopted by Mr. Allen, a wealthy Virginian whose barren marriage bed seemed the warranty of a large estate to the young poet. Having received a classical education in England, he returned home and entered the University of Virginia, where, after an extravagant course, 
followed by reformation at the last extremity, he graduated with the highest honours in his class. Then came a boyish attempt to join the fortunes of the insurgent Greeks, which ended at St. Petersburg, where he got into difficulties through want of a passport, from which he was rescued by the American consul and sent home. He now entered the military academy at West Point, from which he obtained a dismissal on hearing of the birth of a son to his adopted father by a second marriage, an event which cut off his expectations as an heir. The death of Mr. Allen, in whose will his name was not mentioned, soon after relieved him of all doubt in this regard, and he committed himself at once to authorship for support. Previously to this, however, he had published in 1827 a small volume of poems which soon ran through each of the three editions and excited high expectations of its author's future, his future's distinction in the minds of many competent judges. And that is the life of Edgar Allan Poe and the end of tonight's readings. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode and feeling a little sleepy. If you're not quite sleepy yet, please feel free to listen to another episode. In the meantime, I'll be bringing another episode out just for you. Until then, good night.